0: podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
1: Welcome back to Dollars and Change here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt.
0: And I'm Nick Ashburn. And we
1: are delighted to be continuing our conversation with all of you listeners today and our, with our fabulous guests. Uh, we just heard from a, um, a, a current Penn Master student. Uh, recent penn alum working to create uh, more opportunities for student entrepreneurs uh, at colleges and high schools across the country. Our next guest that we're going to talk to is Brian Murray. He's the co-founder and principal of Shift Capital. Brian, welcome to Dollars and Change.
2: Uh, thank you, Sandy and Nick. happy to be here.
1: So we're excited to continue uh, the conversation, focus on Philly here as we had with our first guest. Tell us, uh, tell us the problem Shift Capital was created to solve.
2: Uh, sure. Well, um, we are an impact real estate group. Uh, we're B-certified, and our focus is to find better ways to align capital with uh, communities.
1: How is it misaligned?
2: Um, well, we believe that um, uh, that capital has been um uh, has not done a service to communities at the end of the day, um, and we feel that we've built a foundation in which uh, real estate, in particular, plays a plays a role in communities in uh, lifting them up and thinking uh, very strategically about uh, intergenerational poverty on one side, and also the challenges of displacement and gentrification on the other side.
0: Right. So, so Brian, this is a really interesting point. So, I'm I'm thinking obviously about Philadelphia. It is the largest, poorest city in the country, or whatever that statistic is. Um, And I, you know, we have a lot of vacant lots, we have a lot of, you know, low income communities, just different, very, very poor areas of Philadelphia. So what is sort of the issue that has happened over the last 10, 30 years, um, that that gets us to where we are today?
2: Well, there's, there's certainly a lot of reasons why we're the, the poorest, uh, you know, big city in the country. Um, and, you know, a lot of that's historical. Um, you know, if we go back, uh, there's a lot of reasons why, uh, whether it's uh, redlining, whether it's, um, uh, you know, uh, the removal of and going back to kind of industrial, um, uh, leaving the city. Um, but ultimately, I think what's most interesting is actually where Philadelphia is positioned right now. Uh, So in the Northeast, uh, Philadelphia is really the last big city to start to uh, get its legs underneath it from the standpoint that people are interested in cities again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we look at what has happened, um, you know, not just on the East Coast, but obviously San Francisco, Seattle, uh, you know, most recently, probably D.C., uh, we've seen this trend um, absolutely explode. Uh, and I think, in the last probably you know five to ten years we've started to see kind of you know philly we we don't exactly explode, but we are certainly moving uh, in a really interesting direction from a city perspective but the but where this is uh, i guess both problematic and also where the opportunity lies is that there is real opportunity where uh, you know this growth and where poverty meet and this is something that I think a lot of cities have not done well. Um, and a, lo- a, lot of, a lot of reasons for that is because I don't think a lot of other cities realized it was happening until it was too late, where all of a sudden now, uh, you know, there are parts of D.C. where you can't buy a townhome for less than a million right. dollars. And, uh, and, and so Philly is in this unique position. Um, you know, the neighborhoods that we work in, we have an average median income of, of $22,000 uh yet uh both neighborhoods sit on public transportation so we're transitioning from being a car town to a a more walkable town you know not just in center city but in the entire city uh and and uh not only is it on public transportation but we're you know 10 and 15 minutes to center city which in a city context anywhere else is you know rather remarkable
1: so, Brian, tell us what this looks like. You gave a quick example of um, D.C. condo prices there. But it sounds like you're you're saying Philly is, you know, on the cusp and it's important to make the most of these lessons learned from other cities that have had this, you know, economic uh, and real estate surge and have, you know, sort of suffered some of those consequences. What does that look like? What are some of the things that Shift Capital is working to avoid happening in Philadelphia?
2: Sure. So our kind of theory of change really is that, um, you know, we believe in uh, investing in a catalytic project and then investing all around that project in a what I'll call an underserved neighborhood uh, before the kind of um, changes that development might bring to that neighborhood. And the reason that is the strategy is because uh, we we believe that one of the reasons and one of the one of the opportunities to tackle poverty is to bring communities early in on those wealth building opportunities
1: and so and what what is an do- example of of you know a catalytic project that you it seems like you're referencing sort of an anchor and then and then building or supporting around it what are those types of projects are they hospitals are they schools you know housing
2: yeah, well, well. To be honest with you, they're all of the above. But, but in our cases, and and we we've done it in two different neighborhoods, and they're two different type of projects. So, in North Kensington, so we work primarily uh, in uh, a neighborhood called Harrogate and Juniata, which is on the north end of the the Kensington section of Philadelphia, above Lehigh Avenue. Um, our kind of catalytic project is a series of uh, studio spaces. Uh, called making studios. And so, uh, we cater to entrepreneurs of all types, uh, from your creative entrepreneur to your light manufacturer. Um, uh, and these are, 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 folks that are bringing jobs into this neighborhood. Not only, you know, jobs, uh, that are coming from a neighborhood to into a neighborhood with an unemployment rate three times the city, but also then looking to hire local as well. So this is one example, but, the other example is our project at Broad Erie in Germantown, which is the Bury Building. This is a 14-story historic building that has been vacant for 40 years, uh, and we've been working on a development plan there that we look to build around as well. The the point that that, that I want to emphasize is that it, it, it can be a number of different projects, and it could be a number of different uh, institutions uh, that create that catalytic project. And to your point, it could be a health system, it could be institutions. And if we go back in history in Philadelphia, it is, you know, it is also, you know, University of Pennsylvania is is a classic example of that as well.
1: Sure. And so, um, you know, the, the arc of this story, you know, that helping to um, ensure that, you know, some economic inclusiveness and equality is maintained The jobs piece is evident if these are folks that are, you know, businesses that are bringing jobs and bringing some economic stability to the neighborhood, hiring locally. What are the other dimensions that sort of help to guard against the challenges other cities have seen that we're trying to avoid here in Philly?
2: Well, we we think that the key component to that is access, right? So that access comes in several forms. Um, That access comes in the form of education, so the community understanding early uh, and being a part of the process of change is critical uh, so that that community is educated and has the knowledge to make decisions that, you know, make economic sense for them. Um, That's one. What would an example
1: of that be, Brian?
2: Well, a lot of times communities don't realize what is actually happening until it's already happened. So, Um, they don't understand, for example, when the small developer comes in and starts buying up, uh, you know, homes and offering cash, uh, for their home. And they think it's, you know, the greatest thing that's ever happened. But the reality is, you know, if they, if they hung in there for a little bit longer and they realized that there might be some value if they wait a little bit longer, you know, that's, that's equity that leaves their pockets. And when we, you know, when we talk about wealth creation, you know, there's a, There's a house uh, on the the 900 block of Tioga Street where we work. That in 1973, it was worth $35,000. In 2015, it was worth $35,000. So that point at which people make decisions about their homes, which are their primary tool of wealth building, Mm -hmm. is critical. The second point of access really is... Uh, Who has the opportunity to participate in neighborhood change? And, you know, 80% of businesses in Philadelphia, small businesses, are owned by white males. And when we look at both the small business space and then when we look at the real estate space, real estate is primarily driven by white males. Um, And so when neighborhood change happens, that's usually who ends up benefiting so how do we create opportunities for the community, people of color, women to also participate in the real estate cycle uh, in a way that that, uh, you know, they haven't participated before?
0: And so, Brian, if you if I take it or sorry, if I was thinking about investing in shift capital, you know, I want to see that you do well with my money. Like I want, you know, maybe all the white men <laughs> get are the ones that are going to pay for it. So how do you think about your investors, and then how do you actually think about the work you do to remain inclusive and, you know, maintain that access and sort of um, equality?
2: Well, um, just to clarify, the access on, on that I talked about, you know, that's a lot of programming that we have to do on the side. The, the work that we do, we raised a fund um, that, uh, you know, we raised what we call, I guess, something between both impact investing dollars and just, you know, real, smart real estate urban value add dollars, right? So we have investors who are really do care about our social mission. And we have some investors who think, you know, hey, this is really smart to um, to invest in urban value add in a city like Philadelphia that's growing right now. And so um, for us, you know, the balance between, you know, our social good and our financial good we believe is tied inherently together. And this is one of the things that as I kind of came into real estate, I felt very strongly that in a lot of other social enterprises, you do have to have a lot of trade-offs and I'm not suggesting we have no trade offs Um, but I do believe that because we're long-term investors in the community, um, that and we're, and, and we have this patient capital, that when we invest in the neighborhood, whether we're cleaning up trash on Kensington Avenue uh, or whether we're seeding other entrepreneurs in the neighborhood, um, that ultimately that's going to benefit us. And, and what I often say to people is that, you know, if a if a institutional real estate group, um, you know, out of New York or even here in Philadelphia tried to invest in this neighborhood in a traditional real estate model, they would not be able to bring back the values that we believe we can by doing the right thing. Because ultimately, doing the right thing is going to mean a, a stronger, more stable community. And that stronger, more stable community is going to make our real estate more valuable.
0: Sure. So um, w- how do you work with within the community? So, you know, you, you've mentioned a couple of properties that you've been developing you know, do you partner with other nonprofits for that programming piece? Do you, um, we're, I guess I'm just trying to paint a picture of like, okay, it's one thing to be a real estate developer, but how do you actually get to these other social impacts?
2: Yeah, well, I think that there are several layers to this, right? And so the first layer, I think that's really important is is the capital layer. So our quest, the, 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 what we're trying to do is use our private equity ca- type capital um, to spur and make sure that we're bringing in other types of capital. Because the truth is there's no silver bullet to the challenges of deep poverty. And so if our capital is not coming in with uh, philanthropic capital, with uh, you know, governmental support, with PRIs, all working and aligning together, then, then we're not going to get there. And so we do work very specifically with uh, organizations on the ground. Uh, one of our main partners in Kensington uh, is Impact Services CDC, which is a 30 you know, year organization um, that has been uh, in the workforce um, development and vet uh, housing space. Uh, they put together a neighborhood plan, and we are working with them to follow that plan. They have also brought in dollars from JP Morgan, philanthropic dollars, um, that are going to be used for entrepreneurs uh, on Kensington Avenue. Um, at, at Broad and Erie, we work closely with uh, several organizations, several, uh, several CDCs there, as well as uh, North Ten, which is uh, uh, Chase Lenfest's organization, um, and and then we work very very closely with the City of Philadelphia. So whether it's the Commerce Department, whether it's uh, uh, PIDC, others, um, all these components uh, is, is about aligning that capital. The other ways that we work with the community are. Um, when it comes to tenants that need jobs. So, for example, um, one of our first tenants was uh, Snap Kitchen, which is a prepared um, mm-hmm. uh, food organi- uh, company in Philadelphia that has several retail locations. Their commissary kitchen is, on, is in our uh, Making Studio South building. Nice. Uh, they have hired. Um, Uh, They have about 70 people that work there and 80% of them are from the neighborhood. And they specifically came into this building and came into this neighborhood with the idea to be a part of that uh, process. Um, But, but just to, you know, I don't think there's enough time to talk about the different layers that we, we try to do outreach. You know, we are our own property managers. So our team is on the street. We are talking with our tenants. Uh, We are, in touch with some of the fears that are there of some of the challenges they have. And, you know, we do what we can to both listen and include them in a lot of the conversations that we're having.
1: Yeah, Brian, I think that phrase, you know, we do what we can is, um, you know, captures a very real challenge of folks who are, um, you know, in any sector of the social impact universe. Where does your responsibility end uh, you have the chance to see so much of uh, so much opportunity for impact, um, but you're also running a business. so you have to make sure that you're making smart decisions and sort of drawing you know boundaries uh, you know where they need to be drawn. Tell us a little bit about how you determine where your responsibility ends. It sounds like you're you're doing a lot. How do you know when to say when and and say, look, you know our our business interests can only allow us to do this much um, because there's a lot to be done in these neighborhoods
2: uh you know it's 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 not a question I think we figured out the answer to uh we are about thirty people, and I would say all thirty people are uh, you know whether it's 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 our 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 guy doing maintenance orders or or our leadership everyone on our team cares about impact and so to some extent i can't help um you know all the things that our team tries to get involved whether it's you know uh you know whether it's volunteer opportunities et cetera. It's a great question. I think what I would say is that our goal is to be a catalyst. And so we have seeded and launched programs that then we look to hand off to not to our partners. Um, Jumpstart Kensington, which is a real estate accelerator for uh, people in the community, um, uh, modeled off of a program in Germantown here in Philadelphia, um, is an example where you know, we really took lead in the beginning, but uh, brought in a nonprofit partner, Impact Services, and and they are taking more ownership of that. Uh, so we did a lot of heavy lifting, um, but and are still doing heavy lifting, but the goal is really just to keep that kind of catalytic, you know, starters, that then we can bring in others to support so that we're not doing everything.
1: Makes total sense. Any lessons learned you'd want to share with our listeners of you know, an experience or, uh, you know, a, a program that you said, we thought it made sense for us to be the ones doing this, but we'd do it differently the next time <laughs> around?
2: Sure. Uh, plenty of those. But <laughs> probably the best example is um, we uh, we bought a, a number of storefronts on Kensington Avenue. And for those who aren't in Philadelphia, Kensington Avenue is the home to our opioid crisis. Uh, it is also... Um, uh, we also have an elevated train there, and it used to be an old business corridor. Uh, so we have these, imagine these kind of you know, northeast storefronts that are maybe a 1,000 square feet with maybe a you know, residential unit above. And we bought up a, a number of them, and we couldn't get anybody to start to take the leap into starting to, to retenant these. Most, uh, almost all of them were vacant. And um, so we created a contest. We created a Kensington, Kensington Storefront Challenge where we took all of them and we did an open RFP contest to say, almost a Shark Tank style, you know, hey, we are not giving these away, but we've got a lot of incentives with them. We're going to give away a lot and we're going to work with entrepreneurs to get them in. And we got 30 applications. We narrowed that down to 15. The community was a part of the process. Uh, we, You know, we chose nine uh, we now have signed, a year and a half later, six of those leases. Um, but what we learned was this is really, really hard work for uh, for our capital, for our capital needs that need, you know, a certain return. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a model that actually, um, a, a, you know, a group in Baltimore just, uh, you know, and I say this, uh, you know, those, Uh, Someone taking it is certainly a a form of flattery, but Baltimore just uh, took this program and did it down there as well. Um, But the challenges of the amount of work, um, you know, working with these entrepreneurs who are sometimes undercapitalized, need a lot of technical assistance, um, didn't really actually make economic sense for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So moving forward, we are working on different forms of capital to come into this community, Uh, specifically, you know, uh, program-related investments, which perhaps are a little bit more concessionary-type returns, uh, because we do believe that this is critical. So this is the point where we, you know, invite in businesses that haven't had access to other business corridors. Uh, It just can't necessarily happen with our uh, private equity capital.
1: Fascinating. Well, thank you for sharing that. Those uh, lessons learned are are great to share with uh, other entrepreneurs um, so that they that, you know they they can uh, make make strategic decisions
0: with that in mind well and I think it's really important because you know Brian I've, I really do have tremendous respect for what you all are doing through shift capital and you know the fact that you're sort of pioneering and you're innovating I mean of course you're gonna have some stumbles yeah. or you know lessons learned and so really <laughs> appreciate that you're uh, appreciate your candor here and sharing that with our listeners
2: no problem uh, I I, I appreciate the time to share it as well. <laughs>
1: so we've got a, a two minutes left here in our segment with you, Brian. Um, what else would you like to share about Shift Capital? What's next on the horizon for you guys?
2: Well, uh, what's interesting is that um, we've we went from being a group that um, it, you know it was very challenging to get banks to work with us. It was very challenging to raise dollars. And anytime okay. you're you're walking into gr- to places and you're saying. Uh, you know, hey, how would you like to invest in a neighborhood where the average median income is twenty thousand dollars and there's an opioid crisis? Sign uh, me up. Yes, it, 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 it's yeah, exactly. Um, but in the last year and a half, uh, you know, opportunity zone uh, legislation mm-hmm. has come in, and I'm not sure if your program has talked about it. But uh, I, in short, um, it is a, a tax incentive for investors to invest in communities uh, that we actually work in. So. Um, you know, in my mind, it is probably the biggest piece of policy legislation, tax legislation uh, for underserved communities in, I think, our lifetimes. It's playing out in real time right now. Uh, and so we're very much interested in, in in a role that preserves the goal of that legislation, which is to, to work in and uplift um, underserved communities. And I think there's going to be a lot of bad that comes with the legislation, but I'm hoping that we can play a role in that world. It's of, really we important. To that yeah.
0: legislation.
1: Well, Brian Murray, thank you so much for sharing uh, so much knowledge about your great work at Shift Capital with our listeners. This is Dollars and Change. Stay with us. We'll be back for more at the intersection of business and social impact.
0: For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.